Thank you for choosing to listen to another exciting teaching from Revive Church. Please join us at either of our two Sunday morning locations, 9 a.m. at Revive Bitterroot, 3909 Highway 93 in Stevensville, or 10 a.m. at 2811 Latimer in Missoula. We also have a 6 p.m. evening service at 130 East Broadway in downtown Missoula. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your lives. May God richly bless you in the upcoming year. What a great day already. It feels like a, uh, doesn't feel like God is on the move. And he said so much to us, yet I want to take us a little bit deeper. We're going to look at Mark chapter 7. And I'm always thrilled to, super thrilled to preach on the first Sunday of the year. Uh, to me, it's, uh, it, it marks a new chapter. It's a new page. We've heard that already through the word that Rudy brought in a challenge that uh, sin won't mass, be a master in your life anymore. Wes came and said, come on, that year's over. And I think God's saying today, uh, I'm doing a new thing, and we want to grab hold of it. And uh, I have the privilege of, of sharing out of the Gospel of Mark 7, verse 24. I want to dive right in because I've got a bunch I want to cover. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, you can look up on the screen, and you can follow along. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house... Uh, and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. This is speaking of Jesus. He just had a busy, all of his life was busy, busy ministry, and so he's trying to have a retreat, basically a respite. Uh, And it says, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. And now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, listen to this, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Grumpy Jesus? Uh, Verse 28, but she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child uh, lying in bed. And the demon was gone. Someone say, wow. That's quite a church service right there. I want to read this next little part. Verse 31 to 37. And then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee uh, in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf And had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And look at what he does. Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after after spitting, uh, he touched his tongue. And then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened, and the ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly, and Jesus charged them to tell no one, but, but the more uh, he charged them, the more they zealously proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all these things. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Uh, over the next few weeks, I wanna, um, we want to tackle this topic, uh, Christianity. It's around a table, not just the temple. 
Christianity not around a table, not just uh, the temple. And I want to purposely chose this scripture because it's around, it's around a table. And there's several times through Jesus's, a lot of times through his ministry where these profound things happen at the table. Often we can think of church, we think of church as an event. We think of church coming together to like this, a big worship service, but church is really about a family. It's about a community. It's about gathering together. And it's not just the, the temple, it's, it's about a table. Someone say amen if you like to, if you like to eat. Um, and so one of, one of my favorite times in all of my uh, life uh, for the Yakos family is dinner time. Jess and I have five kids, uh, and we, have, we play these games at dinner. Not only do we, um, a lot happens at the table. Parents, are you with me? There's lessons that are learned. There's challenges. There's tears at the table. Never forget my daughter, uh, Danica, um, she's not in the room, so I can talk about all my kids now. Um, she, she said this, she, she was like our picky, how many, in every family has a kid who won't eat? Christmas storyline. Uh, Danica was our kid who wouldn't eat, and she looked at my wife and she said, I hate this food. Woo, game on. And so Jess said, well, if you don't eat it now, you're going to have it for breakfast. How many have ever been there? Well, I'll tell you what, my wife's tough, but Danica is tough. Because she, she said, fine, I won't eat. I hate this food. She went all night, hunger strike. Well, next morning, there's the food heated up, breakfast time. Somebody's like getting ready to call CPS on us already. Um, and so uh, lunchtime rolls around. Jess heats up the food, puts it on the table, and they have their heels dug in. Um, Dennis said, no. I'm not going to eat. And she said, fine, you'll have it at dinner. And right now I'm like, whoo. Like, are we over the line here? Like, uh, no, no, starve her. <laughs> and so finally dinner time, 24 hours go by, and she gobbled that stuff down. A valuable lesson uh, learn. But so many things, we have a game we play, it's called Polite Bite, because my kids seem to, either we haven't instilled it or we don't model it, but they have the worst manners. And so we play this game where they have to take a polite bite. And my youngest kids actually beat the older two, the twins, almost every time. Uh, another thing we do at dinner time is we uh, have favorite part of the day. And so we go around the table and we share our favorite part of the day. And oftentimes I'll say, or one of the kids will say, right now, having a meal together, this is my favorite part of the day. Our littlest one, Mickey, I don't know if like a, a, if she was a broken record or if her brain was stuck in a, um, like a weird vortex, but uh, one day she saw a moose out in a pond. And that same day when they're collecting eggs, we have chickens, she broke an egg. And so for her favorite part of the day, she's like two Mickey, what's your favorite part of the day? Uh, broke egg, brown moose, wawa. Which is cute. It's cute. Uh, but that persisted for like Mickey for the next nine months. Mickey, what was your favorite part of the day? Broke egg, brown moose, wawa. <laughs> over and over. Uh, and so um, we have, a, we have um, two dogs, Gus and Queenie. 
Gus is our border collie, a good lonesome dove name. And uh, Queenie's our little, um, what is Queenie? Um, I forget, cute little dog. Uh, my, my daughter Maddie saved up six years to buy Queenie. Uh, and so uh, they're often under, you know, looking for those crumbs that fall off the table. Um, but f- food and meals matter. They actually matter in the New Testament. The word companion uh, comes from the Latin word uh, cum uh, panis, which, which is together and bread, companion. Uh, our life at the table, no matter how mundane, uh, it can be sacramental when we come together and break bread and give thanks and we gather as a family, uh, we believe that God is in our midst. And all of you can think of dramas around the tables and the talks around the tables and the laughs around the tables and jokes around the table. But food uh, connects us with family, right? And some of you are going, what does this have to do with the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Oh, thank you. Food and water. Yet in our culture, we cook uh, less and less. Uh, did you re- realize that uh, as, ge- as generations are being raised, they're not learned, they don't know how to cook. You put things in the microwave, right? I'm so glad I have a wife. She, she, all my kids have, sometimes it's like a, a science experiment gone wrong, Uh, But our kids are learning to cook meals because it's good to have meals together. Can someone say, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Americans spend, and food can go wrong, Americans spend $50 a year on dieting, trying to not eat. That's more than we spend on world mission. Think of that. Um, And listen to this. A recent survey uh, found out that 40% of American families eat together, dinner together less than three times, three times or less a week. Uh, And 10% never have a meal together, dinner together at all during the week. So when we think of Jesus and his ministry, uh, three times the Bible uses this phrase, the son of man came, dot, 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 like the Son of Man, Jesus, came, and this is why. And the, the first one is uh, in Mark 10, 45. He, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The next one, Luke, or Luke 10, 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And the third one in Luke 7, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. The Bible says that, and it's more than he had to eat, but the Son of Man came as part of his method, as part of his ministry. He came eating and drinking, so much so that some of the Pharisees said, why why do John's disciples fast? They're real somber, and you can tell they're spiritual, but Jesus, you and your guys, you're feasting, right? In fact, they called him a glutton, and they called him a wine-bibber. He's, he's feasting and drinking, and he's with, he's with sinners, eating. But the Bible says the Son of Man came eating and drinking, I, I believe, on purpose. So he did come to serve and give his life. He did come to have a, uh, give his life as a ransom, but he also came to eat and drink. The Son of Man is a phrase used by the prophet Daniel to describe Jesus uh, prophetically as the r- ruler over the nations. 
So here comes the son of man, uh, and he feasts with people. Some of you are wondering, well, what what does this have to do? Let's look at his life for a minute. In Luke 5, uh, slide 8, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners in the home of Levi. In Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. In Luke 10, Jesus eats at the home of Mary and Martha. In Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at a meal. Luke 14, Jesus at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their friends. Imagine that, bring people to the table. What a picture of the church, right? It should be, when we come together, it should be, even if there isn't food, which often there is, it should be a feast when we gather together. Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner at Zacchaeus' house. He's that guy. Tonight, I'm coming to your house. Luke 22, there's the Last Supper. In Luke 24, the risen Christ has a meal with disciples from Emmaus and then later eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. Robert Karras said this, a Christian author. He said, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And some of you are like, hey, I'm trying to have a New Year's resolution to eat less. Just eat better, okay? Um, yeah, preach. Um, if it's not a meal, there's, the, there's more. There's the parable of the great banquet in Luke 14. Luke 16, he contrasts the parable of a rich man who feasted every day and then a poor man who got uh, crumbs. In Luke 13, he speaks of salvation, saying people are going to come from the east and the west. Yeah, east and the west. North and the south. And recline at the table of the kingdom of God. In Luke 22, he said, I assign to you as my father is assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat at my table and, or dr- eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. So think of communion. When he said, do this, and, and remember, it was in that time, it wasn't just a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice, it was a meal. They sat down together and he said, when you, when you get together, do this in remembrance of me. In the book of Acts, the early church, the Bible says they worshiped daily in the temple courts and then broke bread when they went house to house. Eating and drinking with people is a sign of friendship, And the meals that he had, even with the unclean and the sinners, represents, get this, it represents his new kingdom, new access, a new relationship that's available. Eating and drinking is not all we do as believers, but when we gather together, guys, we should come together and believe it's a feast. So over the next few weeks, I want to look at some of the important tables in the New Testament, Jesus was at and find out why he's there and help us to know that it's not just about the temple. It's a table. There's relationship and community. Now let's look at, uh, for the next few minutes at Mark 7. Back to our story. If you're, if you're with me, say yeah. What a, this is a challenging text. I read this uh, a little over a month ago and I thought, wow, is Jesus brushing this lady off? Is he grumpy, Jesus? Is he rude? Is he racist, the Syrophoenician? Is he, is, does he have this hierarchy? What's going on when she comes and she makes her way, barges in? 
uh, even out of order. She's a woman, not a man. She's a, a Gentile, not a Jew. She has, if, if she knew the, the uh, Levitical laws, she couldn't come and, and uh, beseech him like that and just come in his space and touch him and, and beg. And uh, the word beg, she, when she begged him, it's a present progressive. It means she begged and kept on begging. I have kids like that. Dad, 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 dad. Ah! Well, actually, it's more mom, mom, mommy, mom, mom. Oh. Uh, yeah, go to dad. She locks herself in the bathroom. And their little fingers come under the door. Mom, mom. I digress. Um, see, the, there's a few ways we think we approach God. One, the old way was God's this blood tyrant, kind of angry God, and we have to appease him. Uh, more modern God is, is God's a spiritual force, and you just kind of meditate and can access him anywhere. Uh, this woman shows us a way to access God that is fascinating. She bursts in and breaks the rules. And it's one of the few times Jesus ever left uh, Jewish providences, and he's going to escape. He's trying to leave his main... In fact, Jesus never really left Jerusalem. That's where he ministered. He didn't go to Greece. He didn't go to Rome. He didn't, he didn't travel over the seas like Paul. He had one main ministry focus... And it was the Jewish people, and she, he goes to hide to get away for rest, but she barges in into this Gentile territory in Tyre. And, and her problem is so bad that it got her out of the house. I don't know if you've ever had a problem that got out of the house. Something you tried to keep <laughs> hidden or keep collected or keep... Uh, to yourself, or man, I'm just going to work through this, but sometimes our problems get us out. It got her literally out of the house so much so she had to find Jesus desperate enough to track him down. I have the feeling uh, a busy church parking lot wouldn't have stopped her. Right? I have a feeling, oh, the weather wouldn't have stopped her. I have a feeling, oh, you know what that person said to me last? I, I feel like this woman is so tenacious that Nothing would have stopped her, even when the, uh, in the Matthew account, the disciples said, Jesus, she keeps begging, tell her to stop. They're, this is embarrassing. Sometimes these guys missed it, didn't they? Uh, and so she would have probably known these Jewish customs, and, uh, but she fell down and kept begging. She, she, and her, and her, it's not surprising, if you had a child vexed by a demon, you do everything you could. She's desperate. And her response is history changing. The way she responds with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus said, man, it's not right that I give you the children's bread and give it to a, he calls her a dog. A common word for Gentiles. And is it a, a brush off or an insult? No, I think, it's, I think it's a parable and she gets it. She gets it. You know what's funny? Um, back then, they didn't really like dogs. How many are dog people? Just yeah. cat people? Uh. <laughs> dog people? <laughs> um, I'm more of a dog guy. Uh, back then, they didn't like, there's, there's all these, if, if you look, uh, if you went through a concordance and looked, dog wasn't like a nice thing to say. Like even a dog returns to his vomit, right? In Proverbs, or when in David and Goliath are squaring off and Goliath yells back at David, I'm going I'm to kill you and throw your body and feed it to the dogs. 
Dogs weren't, they didn't like, like, we live in a culture where pets are like highly elevated, even more than people at times. I heard this, this uh, I guess it's a fact or a stat, uh, city of Seattle, people have more pets than kids. <laughs> yeah, they're not there. Ah, ah. Um, I digress. Dogs were unclean. Dogs weren't, um, dogs weren't, you know, they had, a, they had more of a high view of family than they did their pets. And I say that with, we have, we have the dogs at the table, man. They're just, Queenie's just there waiting for one little crumb to fall off, and she's on it. She's just, ping, um, Jesus used an interesting word. He doesn't use the normal word for dog. He said, uh, uh, or she used this word, uh, even the puppies, the puppies. So he said, it's not good that the kids eat. First, the kids have to eat, but then the, the puppies will get some. And she, her re- reply is so unreal. And it's unreal for a few reasons, but she says, yeah, even the puppies get to eat too. And she doesn't get, get her back up. She's not fuzzed up. Do you notice her attitude? See, we're so into our rights and what we're owed in this culture. And Well, I dem- I, you, you, we barge in and demand this is what I should have. And when people don't treat us uh, the right way or the way we think we should be treated, right? We, we can go off, but look at her humble feistiness. She says, even the puppies get the crumbs from the master's table. Man, a crumb in a crisis. How many of you could use at times just a, just a crumb? She knew that she doesn't need, there's enough on his table. Come on, think about it. There's enough on the table of the kingdom of God to help everyone. And she's saying, if I can just get one little crumb, she's not coming and, and uh, being rude to Jesus. She doesn't turn down his request. She gets his parable, and she, see, Jesus, uh, his mission was to Jerusalem. He didn't leave there, and he wanted to show his Israelite people that he was the fulfillment of all the prophets, priests, kings, and he said, I'm coming to show the people of Israel that I'm the Son of God, and after that, when I do my mission, he's going, I'm not going to ignore the world, but I'm going to take all my guys, and I'm going to say, Go to the world. And so she, she's so sharp that she's not looking at her rights. She's not looking at what she's owed. In fact, it's rightless assertiveness. Rightless. We, we can be assertive in the kingdom of God, right? We can pray and we can ask and we can come to our Father, but it's not based on what we want or what we feel we deserve. It's based on who He is and what He deserves. See, she's saying, I'm not coming on the basis of my goodness. I'm coming on the basis of yours, Jesus. And I'm not saying to give me what I deserve based on what I've done. No, she's saying, give me what I deserve based on what you're going to do and who you are. Do you see the difference? She's saying, I'm coming because you're a good God. And yes, I may be a dog. I may have messed up. I, I may have, have blown it so many times, but she has such a good attitude. Do you see that? And he's not coming to be rude to her. He's challenging her. And what he says is, one translation said, after she replies, even the dogs get a crumb, Jesus said, 
such an answer. Such an answer. And I love this quote. You have to listen, lean in and listen to this. So good. James Edwards, on a commentary in Mark, said this. The pagan woman understands Jesus' mission, disclosed to her in the parable of the children and the dogs at the table. She fully accepts that Jesus must fulfill God's revelation to Israel, but the superabundance that fulfillment will produce will spill over and include her and others like her. What an irony this is that Jesus has been seeking desperately to teach his Jewish male disciples, yet they have been dull and uncomprehending every time. This pagan woman is the first person in the Gospel of Mark to hear and visibly understand a parable of Jesus. She enters the parable and allows herself to be claimed by it. She answers Jesus from the parable, from within the parable, that she uh, accepts the terms by which Jesus addresses her, and yet in the parable, she has met the living Lord at who she has struggled and contended. She is, in fact, a female Jacob who said to God, I won't let you go until you bless me. Wow. See, there's two ways we, I think we can fail when we contend in our faith. You can have a superiority complex, complex and, well, fine, I'm fine, Jesus. You're going to be rude to me. I'm out of here, Right? You know what they said to me? I'm never going back to that church again. Right? Uh, she doesn't do that. Or, or you could have an inferiority complex where, where you're the victim all the time and you come, well, God doesn't deserve me and I don't deserve his goodness and I'm, you don't know what I've done. Do you see how you could fail either way? But this woman is contending, this humble contending uh, that I love. She's not too proud to say, yes, I'm unworthy. I get it. If you say I'm a dog, fine. I'm a dog, but she doesn't insult God and not pick up his offer. She says, man, if I could just get a crumb. You know what? If, if, a, if a, a crumb fell from the table and you gave it to a scientist, right? See, my wife has gotten all these... Um, Amazing Christmas cookie recipes like passed down from generation to generation. There's like one I love the most. It's, she can't give it away. I told her it's top secret. She makes like six dozen of the same cookies. It's why I you know, can't really be eating this month. Uh, but if a crumb had fallen from the cookie and you, you gave it to a scientist and they took that little teeny crumb and broke it down and analyzed it, you know what, I bet they could find figure out what's in it. They could figure out the recipe. And some of us need to see, man, God, I don't care if it's a crumb or the whole meal, but I know if I just get a little bit, I'm going to get a taste of the whole kingdom of God. And she's, she's contending so much so that when uh, she, she responds to Jesus, he just says a word and the daughter, not even a close prayer, didn't even lay hands on the girl and she's healed. So how do we find this humble feistiness? Real quick, I want to look at the second part of the text. And I think these two stories uh, are really cool back to back here. It says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon at the Sea of Galilee, the region of Tecopolis. And there he brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay hands on him and taking him aside to the crowd from the crowd privately. 
Look at it. What's this all about? He puts his fingers in his ears with spit, touches his tongue, looks to heaven. He, he groaned. Jesus groaned. Uh, it's so different than the first story. But he, Jesus shows us that he identifies with outcasts. He pulls him aside. And he, you know, what's with the, all the healing things? You know, do we do that? Like, hey, I'd like the ministry team to come forward. If you have a healing need, we're going to lick our fingers. And then <laughs> the first, oh, the first wet willy in all of, all of the history. Um, <laughs> you know, why is that like a healing ritual? No, he doesn't have to do all that because we saw in the, the scripture before, he just, your daughter's well. I don't think Jesus is doing all that for his sake. He's doing it for the man's sake. Remember, he's a deaf mute, and I, it's almost like it's sign language. He pulls him aside, he touches his mouth, his ears, he looks to heaven. He's identifying not only cognitively, but emotionally. He's, he's not, obviously, sometimes people with a disability could be embarrassed. Jesus is pulling him away from the crowd. He knows enough to say, man, I'm going to take you over here and pray for you. And, and, and he, he resonates so much with this guy. And, and the guy's ears open. Jesus identifies with outcasts. And the word that Mark uses in Luke 7.32 for a deaf mute, almost no one else ever used it in the whole Bible. It's, I'm going to mess up how to pronounce it, but Mogalilon, um, it's used only in like one other place, maybe two, back in Isaiah. And it says this. So Mark wants us to see this. It's a prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 35, 4 through 6. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and recompense or retribution. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then the lame men will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute, there it is, will sing for joy for waters will break forth from the wilderness and streams in the desert." Mark is saying, this is the guy, this is the Messiah, this is the promised one who can not only cast out demons, he's going to help the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And what's also interesting in that scripture, it says God's going to come with divine, did you see that? Divine retribution, that doesn't sound good, does it? Did Jesus come with retribution to these people? Did he come like wiping people out like the time his disciples said, hey, those guys are jerks. Call down lightning bolts or fire from heaven and burn them. Right, remember that? His disciples missed it all the time. No, Jesus didn't come to bring retribution. He came to bear retribution. How are the mute gonna speak and the deaf hear and the demons flee? It's because Jesus himself It's the only way that these two people can receive freedom and receive the power that Christ brings is because he comes to bear the retribution, right? That's the the gospel. See, the, the gospel says we're more lost than we ever dare believe, but we're more loved than we ever dared hope. We are totally lost without God in a desperate state, but we, in the same, uh, gospel, we are more loved than we could ever hope, 
That's the good news, guys. How can she have this humble feistiness? Because she's coming to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who's going to bear our sin on the cross. That's why we can approach him. See, Jesus was taken out of the city to be killed on the cross without a crumb, without a meal, so we can sit at, and feast at his banquet table. Someone say amen. He had, to, he had to become a dog. Not so we become a dog, but so we become the children, sons and daughters that have a seat at his table. For this man's tongue to be loosed. The Bible says Jesus, when he was accused, he was silent like a, a lamb before his... Uh, is silent. He, he, he didn't open his mouth. Jesus took our place. He's the perfect companion at the table. He's the one who uh, can confront, can challenge this woman, and he can take the mute aside and heal him. What a God we serve, and what a table to be at. Our challenge in this, my challenge to you in this new year, let's find the table of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I love Wes's word about, man, it's great. 2018, guess what? It's gone. It gone. Right? Sometimes we talk so much about the enemy or our problems or what we've been through or our sickness or our pain. Come on, see, see the table of the kingdom of God. What does it say in Psalms 23? I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Some of you see the enemy and you talk about the enemy and God's saying, no, the enemy's there, but there's a table prepared before you. Before you in the presence of your enemies, I have a feast for you. Come on, this year, let's look at the table and let's share it with the world. Come on. Jesus is, a, this is so interesting. I'll finish with this. He's the, listen, he's the perfect companion at the table. And I love these two stories because they're so, it's such a different approach um, to the mute and to this woman. To the woman, he, he confronts this challenging word. Is it good, right for the kids to eat before the dogs? Wow. How many of you have ever got a, and in Matthew's account, it says before he said that, he answered her not a word. Have you ever had to wait for God in the silence? See, I know what, you guys know what to do when you get the answer. I don't have to preach and tell you how to live and what to do when God gives you an answer, a healing, or a miracle. We know what to do. Woo! Right? When Jesus uh, comes to the mute guy, it says he moaned. I, I wonder, why did he do that? And, uh, you know, if, it, if it's me, honestly, if it's me and I knew he's going to be healed and I'm kind of like the... I'm Josh. I have the gift of healing. Come, my son. Just wait and see what's going to happen to you, right? God's going to come in power. No, Jesus moans because he knows the cost. He knows the, the retribution is going to come on him for this man to be healed. And he moans. He had this compassion in him. And, and such a different approach. Jesus can go to the the woman and challenger, but he can take this guy aside. He confronts her in front of everyone, but he takes her, him, the mute, aside, prays for him quietly. See, Jesus knows exactly, the, and maybe you're sitting in silence waiting for God, but maybe Jesus is a wonderful, wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace. Maybe we don't like his answer, but we still have to contend, humbly fight 
through everything we face. Is anyone here today? Think of when uh, Jesus comes to the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus has died. Martha runs out. She's the upset. They're both upset, but she's the sister that runs out of the house, right? And she says, Jesus, if you wouldn't have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus gets in this dialogue, this challenge with her. And then Jesus goes and they go fetch Mary and they go to the tomb. And Mary says the same thing. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And what does Jesus do with her? He weeps with her. Same God, same situation, but he knows just what we need to contend in life. Um, Maybe one or two more examples. Uh, Dothan is a city where... uh, Joseph in Genesis, the young boy who was taken by his brothers because they were jealous. Do you know what they did to their brother? Talk about putting the fun in dysfunctional. Uh, They take Joseph and they throw him in a pit and sell him to slave uh, slave traders. You know Joseph's down there in the pit and Dothan praying, God, help me. God, save me. God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? Does God come? Does God have an answer? Is he answering him not a word? No, God has a plan. And actually, years later, he's going to work through Joseph to to win the whole world. Same place, Dothan, there's a guy named Elijah who comes to the city and they get surrounded by chariots and his servant's so scared. We're never going to get out. We're surrounded by the enemy. Elijah, we're toast. And Elijah says, there's more with us than there are with them. God opened the eyes of my servant and he opened his eyes and God's angels and chariots of fire surrounded the enemy and they routed the enemy. In Dothan, same place, same God who brings answers in different ways, but he's a wonderful counselor. He's the one we want at the table. He's the one you need at the table of your life and in the middle of your family, uh, ruling in, in judgment and goodness. And guys, we have to see the retribution on him gives us the ability to have that meal and this feast, this thing we call Christianity. And if we, if we can get that and go into the new year going, man, God is good all the time. E- even if it's not a big, huge, miraculous answer, we still contend for those. We want to be like the Syrophoenician who is a little bit crazy, barges into the dinner party and keeps begging the Messiah. Come on, let, let's get a little bit of that mixed with humility, where we come and say, God, yeah, I I may have been a dog, but you are the king of kings, and you are the the Lord of lords, and I'm going to accept your answer no matter what I see. Amen? Let's look at this Jesus that reaches across cultural and gender and racial and religious barriers, and he would eat with people. He'd have meals with people. And let's pray... Uh, today as we conclude for even a a crumb you know to fall from the master's table God maybe you're in crisis and you just need a a crumb to come guess what that's that'll be enough amen I want to pray let's uh, let's stand to our feet Father we thank you for your extreme goodness, your extreme mercy. And God, help us as as a church. uh, The word I felt 
each year I pray for one word, like God, what's last year it was increase. And as I prayed this year, I felt God say he's going to make Revive Church healthy. Healthy. As we expanded last year and, and went to Stevensville and downtown and grew, God wants to make us deep. He wants to make us strong. He wants to make us a family. He wants to make us healthy. And so, Lord, as we look at this wonderful table, this challenging text and scripture of this woman who's contending uh, for, for these rights of the kingdom, yet in such a humble way, such a strange way, and we look at this man who's totally healed, God, we, we even open our hearts and our hands towards heaven today, and we say all across the room with crumbs of the kingdom, just truths and nuggets and, and uh your hope for the future would come into our lives. And we thank you today, no matter what our background is, or where we've come from, socioeconomic class or our race, you have a seat for us at the table. And even in a real practical way, as we dine together and have meals together, and maybe it's lunch together with the family after church or a friend, or we just grab someone and take them out. God, would you... Remind us not to hurry through those sacred, sacred moments. God, if, if maybe we don't do polite bite or favorite part of the day, but help us to actually have meals together. And it's not just nourishing our body, it's a reflection of what you brought in the kingdom of feast to us as Christians that we get to share with the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd love uh, our ministry team to come up. Uh, If you need prayer, and if anything, if it was the word Rudy shared or what Wes shared or something in my message today, and you just need someone to, to agree with you, we'd love to give you an opportunity to come up. Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. Maybe Jesus isn't number one in your life. Maybe second, third, fourth, or fifth. Uh, He can't be there. He's got to be number one. He's either number one or nothing at all. Bible says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. It's only appropriate on the first Sunday of the year to to give you an opportunity to say, man, I want to put God first on the first Sunday in January 2019. God's going to make a difference in your life. So if you need to respond to that, please come forward. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your lives. May God richly bless you in the upcoming year.